0: The statements expressed in the following program are those of the speaker they do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of the sponsor the host and or media olas media this is overdue overtime presented by summer schwartz and now here's your host justin isaac
1: welcome to overdue overtime my name is justin isaac and this is presented by summer schwartz we are talking today about fair pay Am I getting paid fairly? Is this the same pay for the same work? How does this work? What does it entail? How do I know if I even have a claim? And I'm joined today by Jesse Young. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us again.
0: Thanks, Justin, glad to be back.
1: Well, we have another interesting topic, which I think is going to be pretty uh, relevant to a lot of people. Am I getting paid fairly? Am I getting paid as much as my counterpart? or the person next to me who's doing the exact same work, I need to know, and a lot of people would need to know, what does that entail? How do I know if I have a claim? What is the governing law? There's so many questions I have, but let's first start talking about like, where do we find some information? Um, So I know that the Equal Pay Act was enacted in uh, 1963. It was an amendment to the Fair Labor Standards Act. Is
0: that correct? Uh, That is correct. So It was an amendment to the Fair Labor Standards Act. Um, It was enacted during the John F. Kennedy administration back in 1963. Uh, It's actually a very short statute, uh, an amendment to the FLSA, the Fair Labor Standards Act, and it simply uh, works to prohibit uh, employers from discriminating on the basis of sex by paying wages to uh, one gender at a rate less than the rate that's paid to the opposite gender for equal work on jobs of, say, equal skill, uh, responsibility. And under uh, similar working conditions, um, and so th- you know this act has been around for for a long time. And you know I I just want to share with you. Um, I looked up a couple stats before we jumped on today, um, and I thought this was interesting. So since uh, 1979, um, women's pay was about 62% of men's pay back in 1979, and as of 2018. Uh, we've made significant progress and now women's pay is roughly 83% of what uh, men make in the workplace on average. And so, you know, I think this, this statute, the Equal Pay Act is, has done its job. Um, obviously the goal is 100%, but um, certainly have been making progress over the years. Um, so, And then one other stat that I had in, in 2018. Um, this is an active area of, of litigation. There are over a thousand complaints um, made to the EEoc, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission uh, concerning violations of the Equal Pay Act uh, concerning their employers uh, alleged uh, discrimination and fair pay. so I thought that was interesting that you know not only have we made a lot of progress but it appears uh, employers are still uh, not complying with the Equal pay Act even today.
1: Uh, That's really interesting because you would think with the damages that would come with this, um, I mean, people have to be able to figure this out. So uh, another question I'm sure people have, uh, kind of similar to what we were talking about in the past uh, with other statutes, are you allowed to talk about this with your your coworkers? Is this um, something that if your employer says, hey, don't tell anybody this is confidential, um, A, does that raise a red flag? And, And B, is that even... Is that legal? Are you allowed to discuss this with other other people?
0: Sure. So yeah, we, I get this question a lot. So the short answer is, is no, employers are not allowed uh, to require confidentiality uh, in connection with how much you make. They're not allowed to restrict you from speaking with coworkers about how much you make or how much they make. Uh, we see that all the time, actually, um, in the workplace. Uh, employers will give somebody a raise and say, hey, don't tell anybody or this is confidential, um, you know, and under the National Labor Relations Act, you know, that's actually a violation uh, in and of itself uh, to prohibit employees from, from discussing uh, their pay in the workplace. So, so yeah, you, you absolutely, as an employee, uh, have the right to discuss your pay with other employees. So that makes a lot of sense, but
1: I, I guess my question is that if you if you have this concern that you're not being paid equally or or fairly, are you allowed to talk with your coworkers about this? If you even if your your employee your employer says, uh, don't talk about this with anyone. This is confidential. Is are they allowed to prohibit you from having that discussion? Uh,
0: yeah, that's a great question, and, and we get that all the time. I think the short answer to that question is no. Uh, employers are not allowed to prohibit employees from talking about their pay in the workplace. Uh, you know, we see that a lot of times when somebody gets a raise or a promotion, the employer will either tell them to keep it confidential or have them sign something saying that they're going to keep it confidential, and that is absolutely prohibited by a statute called the National Labor Relations Act, and and so no the, the employer is not allowed to prohibit you from from discussing pay with coworkers so you know we typically tell employees you know don't worry about that you can discuss your pay freely so who does the EPA protect well the equal pay act uh protects both men and and women actually uh, you know typically it's it's women who bring claims under the equal pay act for all the reasons we've already talked about, with the statistics and things, but uh, it actually applies to, to either gender, and you know, it, it's designed to to make it an even playing field in the workplace as far as how uh, women are paid in contrast to men and vice versa. Okay,
1: and that makes sense in that it's not just focused on one particular group, but it's really just promoting fairness. Um, and I I guess for this podcast, when I uh, I shouldn't say EPA uh, because people might think that's the Environmental Protection Agency or some other acronym for something else. So uh, I'll stick with the Equal Pay Act uh, from, from here on out. Uh, that's all pretty interesting because uh, you hear about this all the time where, um, I don't know if you've seen on Reddit sometimes where someone will say that they, uh, someone leaked the the pay structure for everyone in the office or, um, and obviously that would probably be a, a not, you know, relevant to the Equal Pay Act. But there's a lot of this is very common to hear about in the news where people are trying to make sure that they're being paid fairly and uh, that there's no there, there's not a double standard. Um here in San Diego, most recently, there was a local anchor who was being paid ninety thousand dollars a year less than her male uh, co-anchor or counterpart, and she's suing for ten million dollars. So I'm assuming that she's filing something that's under this statute or, California statute, which is probably similar. I'm I'm assuming all states have a similar statute or mirror the federal one, correct?
0: Uh, I wouldn't say all, but but many, many, many states have similar counterparts to the Equal Pay Act, um, including California. So yeah, that's probably correct. So how would you prove
1: like a claim? What, are there specific requirements within the the environment? I almost said it right there, the Equal Pay Act uh, that you would need to prove in order to uh, have a valid claim?
0: Yeah. So as with any other statute, uh, there's certain elements that uh, a worker would have to prove under the Equal Pay Act in order to prove a, a what we call a prima facie case under the statute. Um, the, the elements themselves, uh, I'll just run through them. Uh, the first one is whether there's different wages that are being paid to employees of the opposite sex, number one. Uh, Number two, whether the employees perform substantially equal work on jobs requiring equal skill, effort, and responsibility. Of course, we can talk about that, but that's uh, a very loaded element. And then finally, um, whether the jobs are performed under similar working conditions. And so those are the three elements under an Equal Pay Act that an employee would have to prove to be successful. And as you can imagine, just based on the language of those elements, uh, there's a lot packed into that. And so, you know, what happens is when and if these get litigated, uh, the attorneys uh, spend a lot of time working through, you know, what is equal skill? What is equal effort? What is equal responsibility? uh, What is a similar working condition? Uh, Those kinds of questions is the focus of these cases. And as you can imagine, uh, they can go on, on and on with all the arguments for what is what.
1: Yeah, i can imagine that uh, just thinking back to this example i just gave where uh we can imagine a scenario where you have one side coming in who's you know obviously the plaintiff the woman who is uh saying that she was paid less and then probably the defendant the local station is going to come out and say that you know they had different um things that they offered and maybe different skill sets and maybe one was more popular amongst polls or something like that. Do, do, do those things factor in when litigating that element? I guess of the of the code.
0: Yeah, I think generally that's that's right, Justin. The you know, of course, the employers in these situations are going to have defenses, right? And so they're going to point out things like you know, varying educations, varying experiences uh, between the employees. Um, <clears throat> you often see. Arguments, um, you know, for for merit increases based on one thing or another, like production or seniority, uh, things not solely based on gender. And that kind of brings us to the the overarching defense that we usually see in these cases. And that's the uh, quote unquote factor other than gender uh, that always gets thrown out by the employer. Right. It was always there's always some factor that explains the pay difference. And it's always something other than gender. Right? and that's what the employers always try to hide behind and make some arguments about that it's not about gender it's about some other metric or some other thing experience education seniority something um, and they'll do whatever they can to, to grab onto that as a defense so you know for for that specific example with the anchor it's, it's tough to say you know as i sit here you know what the facts are of that case or the ins and outs um, but you know i'm surmising here, but um, she probably uh, is arguing that she's got the same experience, the same education, um, works just as hard, all of these things, but she's not getting paid as much Is again, I'm just guessing, but I, that's probably what her claim is. And, and I'm sure the defense from the employer is, well, it's nothing to do with gender. Yeah. So.
1: I, I think that there's, well, to me, I, I like these very, over the top egregious uh types of claims I don't know why maybe it's because I just find them very interesting something that's really going to catch someone's eye like uh a a female anchor is being paid you know a hundred thousand dollars less and her anchor her uh, is paying getting paid double but she's got more experience or uh you know he, he just came in and and sat down in the news desk and all of a sudden is making more than her do you have any really crazy just open and shut Prima facie cases that you have uh, that you can give us or tell us about.
0: Yeah, I, I do have some examples. Um, there's, the one that comes to mind uh, is a case out of New York involving a, a clothing store, and in that case, there were some female employees who brought a claim under the Equal Pay Act in federal court in New York, and the women employees were alleging that the the male sa- I'm sorry the male sales associates received $6,000 in store credit every year. But the women, of course, received only a 50% discount. So to reap the same benefit from their employment, the women had to spend $6,000 annually while the men had to pay nothing. So that case went to a jury trial actually in New York and I believe the jury awarded the the women uh, a total of $3.5 million in damages in that case. And, you know, that wasn't a, it was just an individual case, right? That was a, a case on behalf of all the women that worked in the store. And so, you know, that one always sticks out to me as kind of an open and shut case, you know, as you describe it. Uh, but there's been other ones, uh, you know, the one, probably the biggest one I can think of was a, a jewelry store um, where the jeweler was, was allegedly overlooking women for promotions and raises And it was a class action and the case, I think it settled for $175 million against this nationwide jeweler. And, you know, that one obviously raises some eyebrows and is a a headline grabber, right? Because it's just such a crazy amount. But, you know, so these cases, you know, they're, they're big cases, they're small cases, they're individual, they're class actions. But, you know, these cases are being litigated. They are being brought. Uh, this is a real thing that's still happening, you know, in the workplace.
1: That's, that's what I was going to ask you next, actually, is, uh, is this a class action? Uh, is, this, is it common for a class action or is it more on an individual basis? Because I imagine if you're trying to certify a class with something like this, you really have to demonstrate a pattern over a lot of different people. It just seems like a lot more work than your typical class action because there's so much subjectivity to each person's individual pay.
0: Right and yeah, so you know these cases are brought all kinds of different ways. So certainly on an individual basis, these are brought. Um, you know, and you see a lot of uh, EEOC complaints based on individual claims. Uh, you, you will see some lawsuits based on individual claims, but you you know like we just talked about, you'll see some some mega cases brought as a class action. And in those kinds of cases typically. The allegation is that the company has a pattern and practice company wide of discrimination against one gender or the other, usually women, um, on how they pay women versus men. And how, you know, usually it comes down to the culture of the company and and how they process uh, promotions and raises. And uh, certainly, you know, they can be very interesting. They can be class actions, but what you're really looking for is a pattern and practice across an entire company.
1: Mm-hmm. That makes that makes sense. Well, <clears throat> we are talking about the Equal Pay Act. Uh, I'm joined by Jesse Young of Summer Schwartz. Um, once again, my name is Justin Isaac. And we're talking about how do I know if I'm getting paid fairly? Is this something that we're able to discuss with fellow employees, even if our employer has uh, said that you're not allowed to discuss it? And we've talked about the uh, Equal Pay Act and Uh, how it's a a subset of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Um, And I think that there's a lot of good information here too, because there's protections in place that that people just don't know about as we discussed. Um, And also in previous podcasts, we've discussed as well about those protections for having these conversations where you can't be barred or prohibited from from talking about these things out in the open, because obviously we want to encourage these discussions, because you'll never know if there's a violation about fair pay if you don't talk about it, because your employer is not going to uh, give that information out to people. So I guess my next question, Jesse, is uh, does this apply to your typical kind of blue collar average worker, or does it just apply to executives and higher paid uh, employees?
0: Yeah, that's actually a really great question. So, you know, the short answer again is it applies to everybody, and I think you'll see this in in all phases of employment, from you know high level executives uh, and professionals all the way down to low wage workers. Uh, we see these cases all the time, where you know a doctor will come in and say, you know, a woman doctor will come in and say. You know, I think I'm getting paid significantly less than my counterpart who's doing the same work and we've been out of school for the same amount of time. We've both worked at this hospital for X amount of years and I'm getting paid significantly less. You know, So we'll see it even at that level uh, versus say a factory production worker who's making $10 an hour versus counterparts, uh, the men who are making say 13 $15 an hour for some reason um under similar circumstances so you know it really runs the gamut of you know entry level positions all the way up to the the highest professional and executive levels you can think of I mean this this really applies across the board
1: before I move on to the next question I did have something that just came up in my mind and what about your type of employee who say they both started at the same time you have one you know uh, from both sexes and uh, over a 10-year period, one asked for raises more frequently and, uh, and, and negotiated raises more frequently versus someone who never asked for one. Does that factor into the difference in pay?
0: Well, certainly when you were in the context of litigation, um, it, it certainly does, right? Because like we talked about, the employer is going to point to that and say that, you know, there's a factor other than gender at play here. And that is, you know the male worker, uh, was negotiating, was trying to uh, increase his pay. And, you know, in order to keep him, we wanted to keep him. He was talented. We didn't want him to leave, so we paid him more. And the woman em- employee, right, she was perhaps just as talented, uh, just as experienced, uh, but she seemed happy and never came to us and asked for more pay. You know, they're going to make that argument. And it's, it wasn't about gender. It was about you know, retaining talent and we had a squeaky wheel, essentially.
1: So it's a defense uh, that an employer might have uh, to a claim
0: like this. Well, I didn't say it was a good defense. (laughs) But (laughs) But it it is a defense. It is certainly a defense that you would hear in litigation, sure.
1: Okay, so what about, are there any situations where employers are
0: allowed to pay one gender more than the other? Uh, Yeah. Of course. And that, you know, that would come down to um, things like, you know, the skill of the the employees, uh, the the amount of effort they're putting in, um, how much responsibility they have. Um, You know, just as an example, you know, if you have two employees, this is kind of an obvious example, but if you have two employees, one's a man, one's a woman, uh, they've both been out of school the same amount of time. They both have very similar resumes. They both have um, basically everything even across the board. But for, for whatever reason, one is lazy and one is not. Um, you know, you could certainly justify paying the, the person who works harder more money, just as a very simple example. But, um, you know, but I would say also if you have those two same people, and they work just as hard as each other, they seem to have the same skills, they're they're equal in all other respects, those two people should be paid the same.
1: Okay, so the, the subjectivity is where we would kind of figure out whether or not we had a claim or not, essentially, because right. and, e- and each employer...
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> you're, you're litigating and arguing about who's who's lazier than the other, or who, who works harder than the other. Um, same thing with the skills and same thing with the... You know the personalities maybe um whoever it might be those are all kind of at issue uh, in the case so
1: how do you and your firm how do you decide to take on a case like this we talked in class actions and um and other things um with regards to to labor and um, not being paid you know correctly and and whatnot i guess this kind of goes with that do you have the same uh, type of intake standard where you're you're really evaluating the claim and needing some pretty good concrete evidence before you d- decide to take something on
0: yeah that's a really good question so uh these cases you know these cases are tough to to vet at the beginning of the case because you know what typically happens is you don't just have somebody showing up with a pay stub and saying hey i'm not getting paid for all the time I work right that's an easy case um what you typically see <clears throat> is a woman, usually, that will come in uh, with her resume, with her pay stubs, with her personnel file, even maybe, and says, hey, I think I'm getting paid less than my male counterpart. So the trick is, how do we figure that out, right? It's not like we can just go to the, the male counterpart and ask for his personnel file or go to the employer and ask for the personnel file. You know, we have to really give some thought to, you know, how are we gonna figure out if there's a case here? And, you know, the kinds of evidence that is typically used in these cases, obviously you're gonna have the testimony from from the worker who might be the plaintiff in the case. Um, a lot of times we'll ask to speak with coworkers of, of this person, right? It might be women coworkers, it might be male coworkers. And we'll try to get, you know, information from them as far as what their pay is, what, what they've seen in the workplace, what they understand the, the pay scale to be, um, things like that, and just get their, their perspective and their experience um, at the company. A lot of times we'll have other employees request their personnel files, and we can use those to evaluate whether uh, the potential client's case is a strong case or, or not. Uh, you know, we look at job descriptions, we look at communi- uh, company communications, Um, If there's any emails discussing pay uh, within the company, we'll want to see those. Uh, And then really, you know, any other company documents describing things like pay policies, uh, bonus plans, and basically anything else talking about compensation. You know, we'll try to gather all that information as much as we can anyway, and try to evaluate whether there's a violation of the Equal Pay Act. And it's, it's really, it's not easy. You know, a lot of times it's really hard to tell.
1: And that makes sense. I I think that my next thought was, and I know we've talked about that your employer cannot uh, essentially prevent you from discussing this, but once someone brings a suit or is potentially uh, bringing a suit against their employer, do you find that employers are usually like, oh, I'll give you a little bit of raise, just make this go away? uh, Or does this really kind of devolve into litigation, which then maybe you have other people coming out of the woodwork from that, uh, that job, I guess, who are claiming that they're not being paid fairly too. How, how does that normally come about?
0: Well, yeah, so you get it. There's, again, there's a mix of outcomes there. So it really honestly depends on what the potential client wants us to do for them, right? Sometimes they just want us to contact the company, raise the issue, and try to get them on the same pay level as you know the, the counterpart that they're complaining about. Other times, you know, this is a, a bigger problem in the company, and the person's coming to us because they want us to try to rectify the problem as a whole, you know, within the company, and to bring maybe litigation or, or demand letter or something uh, to engage the the, the, the employer to, to make a change company wide. And, you know, a lot of times that's met with more, um, it's it's not as well received (laughs) a bit more resistance, I imagine. Yeah. Because, you know, because it's a, it's a change to how the company operates and potentially expensive and those kinds of things. So it really, you know, we, we take our lead from our clients and what they want to have happen. And so depending on the situation will kind of dictate, you know, how we proceed.
1: That's interesting. And I know that I can ask a hundred more questions, especially legal questions, but I want to keep this, uh, this information a little bit light just because there's a lot of good information here too. And we don't want to get bogged down with the weeds because every situation is going to be a little bit different. Um, So I think it's important that for anyone who's listening to go to uh, summerspc.com s o m m e r s -S 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 pccom uh, to find out more information to if you do think that you have a claim this is a great place uh, to to speak with uh, Jesse and his his team of attorneys um, they're experienced and they're they're ready to help navigate this space as we've discussed in previous episodes um, so SummersPC.com for more information or to see if you have a legitimate claim um, so I guess my last question would be, what are the remedies? What happens if I have a successful suit that's brought against my um, my employer?
0: Sure. Yeah. So uh, the Equal Pay Act has uh, remedies that are very similar to, say, the Fair Labor Standards Act, okay? So uh, obviously the the amount of unpaid wages that are due to the employee is uh, the primary. Element of damages that you're going to see. So, you know, what is my unpaid wage that I should have been making um, this whole time? Uh, the Equal Pay Act also provides for liquidated damages, which is basically double of the unpaid wages. So, we, some people call it double damages. Um, and then, the payment of the employee's attorneys' fees and costs that are incurred and in, in filing any legal action; uh, those are provided for in the statute. And then finally, uh, any what we call equitable relief, um, such as giving the underpaid employee a promotion, uh, reinstating them in the job if they got fired, um, raising their pay, as we just talked about, to the, the level of the, the counterpart. Uh, any, any and all of those are on the table um, as far as damages go under the Equal Pay Act. So
1: what about, and for anyone who's listening who is not an attorney or is not familiar with this term... What about punitive damages to punish the employer for something particularly
0: egregious? Does that ever come into play here? No, so, so the statutory framework for punitive damages is essentially the liquidated damages. So the double damages that I just referenced. So uh, we don't have things that you would see in, in typical um, discrimination statutes like emotional distress damages, punitive damages. Um, things like that. So it, it's not quite that expansive. Uh, I will say, you know, some creative attorneys sometimes bring Title VII claims for gender discrimination um, in addition to claims under the Equal Pay Act. And the reason that's done, I believe, is Title VII does provide for emotional distress types of damages. And and so sometimes you'll see that depending on the situation. Um, to try to pick up other damages like that.
1: So in the situation that I mentioned earlier, the hypothetical uh, lawsuit or the actual lawsuit that's happening here in San Diego, uh, she said the anchor said that she's being paid ninety thousand dollars a year less uh, over called like a ten year period. Uh, so that would be around nine hundred thousand dollars in damages, maybe double that to one point eight, and attorneys' costs and fees. Uh, so. Could be an award of in excess of two million dollars
0: uh, for underpaying her for something like that, right? Yeah, except uh, under the statute, the statute of limitations is three years. Ah, interesting. So the employee can only go back so far um, in order to collect those damages. So, you know, the damages we're talking about in your specific case, uh, I'm guessing that those are going to fall under the California statute and not the Equal Pay Act, right? Because the California statute likely provides damages far in excess of what the Equal Pay Act would provide. So, um, you know, depending on which state you're in, you know, the damages or the statute of limitations could be much greater than just the federal, what I'll call the baseline statute.
1: That makes sense.
0: But, you know, you know when somebody calls our firm, we'll sort through that with them and, and figure out what state they're in and, you know, what other state law might apply to their, to their situation. Yeah. And,
1: and that makes a lot of sense, too. I think uh, the key thing to take away from that is if you feel like you're being paid uh, unfairly, make sure you say something. Bring a claim before, you know, not not before it's too late, but uh, to make sure that it doesn't go on forever and that you can ensure that you're being paid fairly or, or to equal to your your counterpart. So that's um, that's good to know.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, totally agree. And there's actually steps, you know, that I I lay out to uh, people who call us about these kinds of claims, you know, to try to figure out if they're getting paid fairly, you know, and, you know, talk to other people in your field. You know, what are they making? As we talked about, you can talk about that stuff in the workplace. It's not confidential. So talk to your coworkers, see what what they're getting paid, you know, compare their experience to yours, things like that. Um, You know, ask questions of your employer. You know, certainly there's there's nothing wrong with asking the employer uh, these kinds of questions. Now, some people might hesitate because they're worried about retaliation. Uh, there is an anti-retaliation provision in the statute, so people should be aware of that. So, you know, if they raise these issues with the employer and they were fired for doing so, uh, they would then have a wrongful termination case on top of the Equal Pay Act violation. Uh, most employers are smart enough not to do that, but um, I get that question quite a bit. And you know, to your point earlier, you know, anytime you get a promotion, uh, a positive performance evaluation at work, it's the best time to negotiate for more pay. So, you know, use that as an opportunity to try to increase how much you're getting paid. Um, that's another another thing um, employees can do, and you know, to get paid fairly. So, I certainly recommend all those uh, courses of action if you're trying to figure out if you. Are being paid fairly in the workplace
1: yeah i think it's a it's an inherently uncomfortable conversation because uh in our society we we don't really like talking about money um or a lot of people don't uh it's uncomfortable it's not the norm it's considered impolite by a lot of people too um but i think that in situations you know i'm, I'm an employer and i have employees and i'm i don't feel uncomfortable uh, discussing money with them, because I think it's important that you be on the same page with your employees. And when you have employees who feel like they're being underpaid, uh, they're, there's kind of this latent resentment, and it, it builds and builds and builds. And that's why I think it's important to have these conversations to bring these things up. If you're doing a review, ask for the money you think that you're worth. Um, I'm not trying to be on a, on a soapbox here, but I think that it is important to have those conversations as well uh, so you feel like you're being valued. We're, we're seeing a lot of turnover ever since COVID. We're seeing a lot of turnover within uh, fields um, by employees. They have a lot more power. And this is just another thing that empowers employees that people probably just don't know about. The, um, the Equal Pay Act, the FLSA, Fair Labor Standards Act. These things are there to
0: protect you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just money. That's what everybody's working for, right? To get paid. That's why the employer is in business to make money, so you know it's not certainly not off limits.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this. Uh, there's we've gone over some some bullet points when it comes to the Equal Pay Act with the uh, as a sub point of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Uh, you know how to discover if you're being paid fairly. Um, how do you prove your claim? What are the remedies for that claim? Are you protected from having these conversations with? Your fellow employees. So there's a, a lot of good information in this uh, in this show today. Um, I do urge you to go to summerspc dot com s o m m e r s p c com to get more information to see if you have a legitimate claim. Talk to Jesse and talk to his team. Um, they are very experienced and and will help you navigate everything that comes with it. And there's so much more to to discover or or to I guess investigate when having a claim today is really just uh trying to get some basic information about the equal pay act and and what rights employees have so jesse thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate it and
0: um and any any last words uh nothing else uh you know where to find us and and justin thanks a lot again for having me on Uh, always a pleasure and uh have a good one Thank
1: you, Jesse. This has been
0: Overdue Overtime.
1: Once again, my name is Justin Isaac and we'll see you next time.
0: If you have comments, questions, and show ideas, visit summerspc.com. Overdue Overtime is produced at the IBC Media Lab in San Diego, California. Your host is Justin Isaac. Jessica Garcia serves as general manager while Elia Ramos is the creative director. Lena Alvarez assists with production and Chad Peace is president and founding partner. This has been a presentation of Summer Schwartz on the OLAS Media Network. OLAS Media.